Welcome to Word Salad Radio Presents, quote-unquote guilty. I'm your host, Joe Ketchum, and I'm joined today once again by Tyler Pistorius. How's it going, Tyler Pistorius? Oh, my God. I want to take that fucking elephant so bad. How are you? Take the, take the fucking elephant! <laughs> I feel like I do a pretty good Liam Neeson American accent. Pay five bucks to see the dancing freak. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, it's been a minute since I've done a quote-unquote guilty. I'm used to uh, Blockbuster Autopsy. I'm used to uh, Cinemark or, or my personal favorite, Stranger Themes, or, or even a Hi-Fi. So it's nice to get back into where it all started. Back to the roots, yeah. Back to the roots with quote-unquote guilty. Uh, and yes, uh, listeners, today's episode is Dark Man, the 1990 movie directed by Sam Raimi. I thought, okay, if there's one superhero movie directed by Sam Raimi that we could probably do for quote-unquote guilty, it's probably going to be this one. Because, Joe, you have gone on record and said that you are not a fan of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. I, I don't love them, yes. Yes, you do not love them. And, I, and I'm do, sure... Do I love them? No. Do I like them? No. Do I tolerate <laughs> them? No. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we get together, Joe, one thing I'm probably not going to be carrying with me if, you know, if we want to, you know, have a good time is uh, I will not be carrying any of the Spider-Man movies, maybe three so that we can both laugh at it together. Uh, it it does would... have that merit of it's such a train wreck. How did all of this go so wrong? That's kind of I, fun. Right. And then you have this movie, Dark Man. Um, I guess before we get to Dark Man, what, what, what was your first uh, what was your first Sam Raimi experience? My first Sam Raimi experience would have been Spider-Man. Okay, yeah. For sure. Yeah, like the Spider-Man movies. I didn't see... I think I've still only seen Evil Dead 2. Okay. You saw I the believe. best one. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why a buddy of mine from Michigan showed it to me. He's like, yeah, you don't really need to see the first one. Like the second one's where it's at. I don't really remember it, so I should probably revisit it. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you did see the best Evil Dead. Uh, my first Sam Raimi movie before I even knew who the guy was was uh, The Quick of the Dead. Uh, okay, I which, didn't even realize that was Sam Raimi, so. Which, I mean, that's that's the thing. I didn't realize it was Sam Raimi, and also at the time I took for granted that cast because when you look back on it, let's see, you got Sharon Stone as the lead, Gene Hackman as the villain, co-starring in the movie Russell Crowe, Leonardo DiCaprio, Keith David, Lance Henriksen, you're just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, you try to get yeah, all those God. actors. In, How have I not to get, seen that movie? <laughs> yeah, you try to get all those actors in the movie now. Well, you're not even going to get all those actors in the movie because Gene Hackman's retired. Yep. Uh, oh, Pat Pat Hingle's in it, too. Old uh, classic late 80s, early 90s Commissioner Gordon's in it as well. The first movie that I saw where I became conscious as a director was Spider-Man. And then the next one I saw was Darkman. So I saw Darkman when I was a teenager. And I watched it a bunch back in high school. And uh, what's weird is that I, think, I saw... I was just going to say, I think I saw Darkman for the first time maybe about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. That sounds about right. 27, 28 would probably be the right era for me. Um, yeah. They showed it at the music box as part of a, a sci-fi marathon. So it's very possible I watched uh. it like 3 in the morning or something crazy like that. That sounds but, about um, right. You know, I think that's probably the ideal way to watch it because I had a lot of fun, even though I had completely forgotten it when I rewatched it today or <laughs> yesterday. But um, 
you know, Jeff and I and Andrew just did the test pilots for the failed Darkman TV pilot. Oh, boy, woof. <laughs> which is an absolute disaster. Like, it is it is antithetical to everything Darkman is. It's just, it's not fun. It's nonsensical. It's total garbage. Have you seen the sequels? To Darkman? No. Yeah, have you seen Darkman 2, The Return of Durant, and Darkman 3, Die, Darkman, Die? No, I, I could have gotten them very cheap, like I got Darkman, but mm-hmm. I'm going on Jeff's word that they are just not worth my time, so I did not spend they are any not. money on them. Maybe they're streaming somewhere. I would be like, oh, okay, I'll check out the Darkman sequels. They they were on Shudder for a minute, and which was how I finally got around to seeing Darkman 2, The Return of Durant. This is, this is wild. I saw Darkman 3, Die, Darkman, Die, before I saw the first Darkman. Because <laughs> it happened... That's a choice. I was a teenager, it happened to be on TV, and I was like, oh, oh, Darkman, okay, I'm curious to see what this is all about. And so I watched Darkman 3, Die, Darkman, Die, with uh, Arnold Vosloo, uh, yep. famous the for mummies. the mummies. The mummies are Arnold Vosloo, yeah. Mummies, Arnold Vosloo, Hard Targets, Arnold Vosloo. That's I gotta, right. I got, I got to drop Hard Target in honor of uh, Jeff Burnham and obviously uh, Tim and Emmy of uh, The Party Barn, which I also showed on my birthday, and that was a great, great time he watched that. Darkman 3, however, is not a good time. Really, the one thing it's got going for it is Jeff Fahey is the villain who is just overacting his ass off to the point where you're convinced he's trying to play the Joker. <laughs> and Love other Jeff than, Fahey. Yeah, oh, he, he, he's good, he's good. But at the same time, though, I, I can't recommend watching Darkman 3 like why would you watch that when you can watch the first Darkman and I didn't see Darkman 2 The Return of Durant until earlier this year when it was on Shudder and so it's like oh okay I could see how somehow uh Robert G. Durant survived getting obliterated (laughs) in a helicopter explosion (laughs) when it happened my note was well he's super dead no way he's returning (laughs) I mean there's no way do they they have an explanation for how he miraculously survived this helicopter explosion nothing that seemed plausible uh actually i i don't don't even remember if they explained how he survived he's just back (laughs) he's just there like he's got like a, a little scar on like the right side of his face but that's it and then what's weird is that his death scene in Darkman 2 the return of durant where i guess he's definitively dead is that he blows up again so he <laughs> it's, has, not, it's not like Durant is that compelling of a character. There was like, oh, no. we can't we can't do a Darkman movie without Durant coming back. He's too good of a villain. It's like, no, he's a stuffed shirt. He's nothing. No, he no, he he he's he's the sub boss. You know, he he's the sub boss exactly. of the main antagonist. And and the main you know, antagonist I think is pretty good in Darkman. Is like as like Durant's oh, yeah. boss, whose name I don't remember. He's pretty cool. Oh, uh, I I forget the character's name, but I know it's a uh, Colin Friels who plays him, and I had seen him in one other movie, and that was uh, Dark City. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, he he plays it's got the, a he plays theme. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, something about man and city. I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Colin city man Friel- with all the city. powers of a city. <laughs> city man. <laughs> All all yeah. the city's strengths, none of its weaknesses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Colin Friels, he plays uh, one of the detectives in Dark City uh, who goes insanely paranoid and then ends up, uh, spoiler alert for those who have not seen Dark City, check out that movie if you haven't seen it. 
uh, he kills himself by jumping on the subway tracks because uh, he found out what the world of Dark City actually is and his mind just can't take it. And I think it's uh, William Hurt's character who witnesses his death. It's been a while since I've seen that movie, but yeah, I was like, oh, oh shit. Wait, I remember him. He, he's the, he's the uh, OCP equivalent CEO <laughs> from RoboCop in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> OCP, yeah, you know me. Yeah, ex- exactly. If I can go on a further tangent, Please speak, do. Speak, just because Jeff Fahey came up, coincidentally, I listened to the <laughs> the short story Lawnmower Man today. Oh my god! <laughs> which, if you've never read Lawnmower Man, it's a fucking trip. <laughs> it's very short, and it is the wildest goddamn thing. I <laughs> like. I don't know what drug Stephen King was on when he wrote Lawnmower Man. I, I but, think. I oh have, my I, god. I, I have a sneaky suspicion that the co-author of the book might have been cocaine. Oh, uh, it's got it's like cocaine and I don't know turpentine. Like he had him in on something <laughs> bad. Uh, I mean, just the pure cocaine that would explain uh, the novel It, which I don't know if you've read. Joe? I have read It. Yeah, it's a, oh. it's a tome. Oh my god, it's a tome, and it's there. There are there are chapters in there where I'm just kind of like, okay, what are we doing? <laughs> I mostly uh, dug it, but as a kind, we we did it as a guilty pleasure. Kind of the the first movie they did a few years ago, and the book because I really want to read the book for the movie. And yeah. the book we mostly talked about because the book is a trip. Oh, it is. It is. Um, it's a trip, and then it and it and it definitely has its ups and downs. There's a specific point where it really goes down, and you're like, "What the fuck am I reading?" What, what, why is this here? What are we doing? <laughs> Speaking of it, if I can go on a further tangent, re- yes. remind, remind me about it when we get to recommendations. That's your job. Okay. All right. All right. I, so, I, have, I have an it related recommendation. All right. I'm going to put a, put a message in here now. Uh, Joe has it related recommendation. I'm counting on you, Tyler. The audience is counting on you. They're not going to want to miss my it-related recommendation. Come on, Tyler, old buddy, don't let me down, as Billy D. Williams would say in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> All right, uh, but I guess so. Back to Darkman. We, well, yeah, we, so we so we talked a little bit about Dur- uh, Robert G. Durant. Yeah, he <laughs> really gotta... loves that middle initial. He's like Homer <laughs> J. Simpson, <laughs> and about as menacing, I would say. I guess uh, we'll we'll start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. As the I song lo- says, I love how the movie basically starts itself off by saying, "Yes, this is going to be a comic book movie because it's literally a meeting of two different uh, gangs on the docks. Classic pulp noir, nineteen forty style." Batman comic kind of deal we're doing here. I love that that opening scene seemed to have nothing to do with anything else in the movie other than introducing us to Durant and his henchmen. It was yes. like the, the deal has nothing to do with the CEO guy. It has nothing to do with Frances McDormand and her investigation. It has nothing to do with Liam Neeson and his research. It's just mm-hmm. a scene for a shoot. Right. <laughs> it just right. exists at the beginning, and that's kind of beautiful. It is. And, and the way it unfolds from... The guy with who has a one leg, uh, his prosthetic yes. leg is also a gun. To the cars that are just waiting to burst out of these gigantic boxes that you would normally see on probably like a on like a ferry or something like that. And there's a shot where one of the cars just trashes this fucking henchman with a gun and just like turns him into a dummy and 
not only gets the dummy plastered onto the car, but then runs over it. It's a blink and you'll miss kind of moment, but it's like, oh my God, like we, we are off the rails from the word go with this action scene and it is glorious and you got those classic sand and the thing is like with uh spider-man the first one it's a combination of that being a sam raimi movie and a, a big like studio monster kind of a movie so you don't really get like what the full sam raimi experience is but with dark man on the other hand oh my god every trick that he ever does as a filmmaker is in this those quick glides into the character's face those like extreme odd angle close-ups all present in this and then you have like those weird three stooges gags like the guy with one leg and then the leg is taken is uses a gun and the guy is just like hopping around trying to maintain his balance <laughs> as all this carnage is happening <laughs> this is why i think the spider-man movies could have been really interesting if they were mm. more sam raimi like like if they were more weird and twisted and had those kind of gimmicky nonsense things in them but it feels so much like a studio film by committee okay to it, me it, you think the Spider-Man movies are a little bit too self-conscious compared to Dark Man? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. They're a little they're a little safe yeah. for my liking. But I need to spend the next hour at least talking about the guy with one leg. Oh my god. Yes. Cuz he is by far the best character. He should have been the star of the movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I and I had a lot of fun like writing leg puns for him. Like I think it's a real missed opportunity that he wasn't like constantly referencing the fact that he has one leg, but maybe he's too cool for that. But I wanted I, him to like, I wanted someone to whip off his leg and sh start shooting up people. I was like, I guess we have the leg up now. You know, something <laughs> like that. I guess, That's I guess good. you're the one with no leg to stand on this time, my friend. You know, that kind of stuff I think would have been absolute gold. But, you know, he's stoic and he's, he's above mm -hmm. that. And I respect it. Just, just hopping from shootout to shootout. That's what we do. Because <laughs> I loved, it's, it made me laugh because he shows up in a later scene. I don't remember if it's him holding his own leg or if someone else is is holding his leg, but someone is holding the leg, like yeah. on Liam Neeson or something. And oh like, yeah, in, in the in the uh, the the science lab. Yeah, and the and the, and the and the guy with the one leg, he's looking annoyed because <laughs> he's trying to look menacing, but he at the same time he doesn't have both of his legs on, and so he's just like kind of like hopping like, God, just let's get to, just kill him so I can go home, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> Like those little touches I love so much. <laughs> the what? game is afoot when the leg man comes along. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's what I didn't write down ahead of time. I just came up with that one. I love that. Uh, the game's afoot. Huh? <laughs> and also, it's a it's a nod to Shakespeare. And it's, a, it's also a nice pun related to this particular villain. There's just so many missed opportunities with that. I, I love to see the potential in a character mm -hmm. but maybe it was wise of Raimi to hold back on that but man I would have done so many leg puns <laughs> I mean the, the thing that you had five people who contributed to the screenplay and five screenwriters yes five screenwriters and two and apparently two of which who I guess were uncredited so you actually have seven were of all people Joel and Ethan Cohen oh seriously wow Joel and Ethan Cohen apparently did an uncredited rewrite on the script for dark man and get this i think it was joel cohen who was an uncredited editor for the first evil dead so this is before blood simple and raising arizona 
and even Crime Wave, which was that weird movie that uh, Joel Neither Golden wrote and Sam Raimi directed. Uh, that yeah, one of the Coen brothers edited the very first Evil Dead movie, <laughs> and apparently both the Coen brothers did an uncredited screen, uh, accredited rewrite on Darkman, and at the same time. Sam Raimi had a cameo appearance in Miller's Crossing, which came out the same year as Darkman. Yeah, I guess, I guess, uh, I guess yeah, th- those three and uh, Francis McDormand, they all lived in a house together uh, when they were basically starting out in Hollywood in the 1980s. And then when things really, when things took off for both Sam Raimi and then things took off for the Coen brothers and then things took off for Francis McDormand, respectively, because all their careers like really like started to like take off in the mid 80s. That's when uh, they were able to kind of like balance their own lives out and stuff like that. But yeah, they they all like live together and they all apparently worked together on this one movie. Like you don't see the names of Joel Nathan Cohen, but apparently they did do an uncredited rewrite on Darkman. And I also, believe it. I mean, it has it has really good moments. That I I mm-hmm. I could totally see being Cohen contributions. Oh, I mean, you have like you have the little things like um, when the Francis McDormand character Julie. Or as I like to call her, Julie, when she sees the, the 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 laboratory blow up, and then it transitions to her at the funeral. Like that, that is such great storytelling. Like just visual storytelling. Yeah. That I I can't tell if that was something that Sam Raimi wrote or if that was something that the Coen Brothers wrote. I I, I don't know. And and I and I think that's part of the thing that I find so fun about this movie. I also. Speaking of Frances McDormand, she is now a three-time Oscar-winning actor, and I think it's amazing that she was in a movie like Dark Man because she yeah. does end up being like the damsel in distress. But you know, she has her own agency; she has her own, you know, and she and she also has her own moments where she tells the main villain to fuck off, basically, but but in a very classy manner. It, it's wild to think that the star of Fargo and three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and uh, Nomadland. <laughs> one Oscars for all three of those is the ingenue of dark man. I think that's kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it is great. It's always great to see Frances McDormand show up in anything mm-hmm. and, and knowing the greatness she would go on to achieve. It's yes. You you can see how a little bit wasted she is in here. Like you mentioned that she has a damsels in distress problem. She's, mm-hmm. she's pretty much Kirsten like, I, Dunst in the Spider-Man movies. Yeah, but, which, uh, is, which is a shame because yeah. she, she's really good in the first first two acts of the film. I think like her character is really strong. I could have used a few more scenes with her, but all the stuff between her and uh, Colin Friels, the, the main antagonist, is really good because it's really kind of her against him when Darkman doesn't really have a part in it. It's it's her. I, I was going to yeah. say, I would have liked to see her like working to figure out what happened to Peyton. Mm-hmm. Inst- instead of fucking the guy who murdered him yeah. like that's that's her arc is like oh i'm grieving and i'm gonna hook up with this guy who i know is a piece of shit but i don't realize how big of a piece of shit he is and that's mm-hmm. really her story until peyton comes back and then she's just happy but it's complicated but there's like again there's a lot of potential in her character to mm-hmm. do a lot more because she is this attorney she's like doing this investigation and that just like goes away and she accepts that Right, that does feel kind of odd. And then the one thing we have to hinge on during the second act is her relationship with Peyton whenever he does basically come back in a way, albeit a little bit different because he can only be with her for, was it 99 minutes or something like that? So he can only be with her for like a short period of time before the skin that he creates 
which we'll 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 get into that in a bit. We sorry, listeners, we tend to jump around a lot in these episodes. It, it happens. Um, it's our guilty our- pleasure is jumping around like morons. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, the the whole the whole bits where you know she's basically just being kind of like, hey, you know, Peyton, you're back. You know, like well, you know what what's going on? What's the problem? And then when she does start to kind of learn more about what's going on. I mean, she's still very accepting of him and is very active in like wanting to try to figure this out whenever. Meanwhile, Peyton, who's already transformed, understandably is like trying to conceal. At first, it's it's to conceal how he looks on the outside. But then as it goes on, it's like, no, it's more so to conceal what he is on the inside because the change that he goes through, oh boy, would, would, would probably be an antagonist in most other comic book movies. And then you have this one, which is not based on a comic book. It's a completely original idea. <laughs> I mean, wasn't well, it like the shadow? <laughs> wasn't it just uh, Sam Raimi wanted to make a well, shadow? It, all right. So it, 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 it's Sam Raimi wanted to make the shadow. He couldn't get the rights to it. So he took the shadow and decided to make him based off of the following. The Wolfman, the Invisible Man, and I want to say the Mummy. Or or Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. There we go. Doctor, yeah, there it is. So it's it's Dark Man meets Universal Classic Horrors. Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, the Invisible Man, and the Wolf Man, and that's Dark Man essentially. <laughs> I I use the term original loosely here, listeners. Um, well, I mean, I guess you could argue that nothing's really an original idea. We're all inspired from things that we like and have come before, yep. and. You know, no, no one's really reinventing the wheel. We just, you know, build it out of new parts. Exactly. Or, or, or you, you, you understand how the wheel is built, and then you start to break the rules on how to build. It. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, should should we start talking about our titular dark man? Our, our Oscar dark Schindler? mania. Our our Oscar Schindler. <laughs> yeah. Which is also a weird thing to think about. <laughs> it's like, yeah, two year, yeah, three years later, he would become Oscar Schindler in Schindler's List. Um, and, which, and, you know, 22 years later, he'd play himself on a very strange episode of Atlanta. He would. Uh, and prior to that, he would become a Jedi master. Yep. Uh, he would become uh, the leader of the League of Shadows. He would become an action star through editing. Uh, with <laughs> <laughs> Movie magic, man. Movie magic. Through movie magic. Yeah. What, what, a, what, a, what a strange career uh, that Liam Neeson has. But... Um, Watching him in Dark Man, I wish he would give more performances like this. Because the thing with Liam Neeson that you get here, you get a side of Liam Neeson that you've never seen before, and you get this kind of this kind of Liam Neeson that you're also used to seeing, like with the, the Peyton Wesley character before the transformation, and then after the transformation, you get bits of it that yeah, you've you've seen before where he's you know like a badass and everything like that, but then like you have parts of it where you're sort of like. Well, Liam Neeson could have played like a really deranged kind of character uh, and play it beautifully. And you see that here in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it seems like he's having fun. I feel like he's either having a lot of fun or is completely miserable. I don't know which it is because right. he's bringing it all, all that energy to the role. But the end result is pretty fun. Oh, my God. The uh, the, the scene at the at the carnival <laughs> where he's, he's trying to win the pink elephant for uh, Julie. Can we just talk about that scene? Absolutely. Oh my God. Okay. So, so what happens in the scene is it's basically, you know, throwing a ball at a, basically a pyramid of bottles. 
Yeah. And during that exchange, dur- during that sequence, he's having an he's having a heart to heart with uh, Julie. You know, he doesn't want to see her. He 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 doesn't want her to see him like some kind of a some kind of a, a freak or what have you. He gets all the bottles down and he requests the pink elephant, if you please. And the guy's like, "No, you stepped over the line. Get lost." And then Dark Man comes out. And then you literally start to go into his, his thoughts. Like the camera even goes into his eye at one point. And then you see like a bunch of brain nerves flashing back and forth. It looks like the, uh, it basically, it looks like uh, the scenes where Tommy McGuire's Peter Parker is on the floor in his bedroom after he's been bitten by a radioactive spider. Like all that stuff. And then flames come out and then he breaks the guy's fingers. The, the, the guy who, runs that tent screams and then it pans over to Peyton who's yelling in a rage and then it pans over to Francis McDormand <laughs> who's screaming. There's a there's a gif. There's a gif of that three-way scream that's the best thing. Oh my god. <laughs> that three-way scream is one of my favorite things that Sam Raimi has ever done in his entire career. <laughs> I, I think it's McDormand. She she really sticks the landing as the third scream. Oh my <laughs> like, god, she does. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then throws the guy in there, grabs it. Take it. Take the fucking elephant. Take the fucking elephant. <laughs> it has to be said that, you know, hitting one out of three of the balls should not win you the big prize. Like, mm-hmm. what kind of what kind of game are we running here? It would be way too easy to win all these prizes. And maybe he tells everyone they're over the line, but you can have this pencil or whatever. And that's right. how he, you know, scams them. And Darkman's <laughs> just not having that. But certainly, you, certainly, you would have to knock over all three pyramids with the three balls to win the big prize. <laughs> I was just thinking uh, over the line. I, I was thinking of uh, John Goodman and the Big Lebowski going over the line. <laughs> <laughs> now, if it, if it was John Goodman run that tent as Walter Subcheck, we'd probably be having a different scene entirely. It would probably still be amazing. <laughs> hey, say what you will about the tenets of National Socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos. Exactly, exactly. Oh, my God, I love The Big Lebowski. Ooh. Oh, it's got to be the <clears throat> most quotable movie ever. <laughs> oh, without question. <laughs> without like, question. We were at the park and a buddy of ours randomly quoted Big Lebowski and was like, yeah, it's like it's it fits into any situation. I don't I don't quote Big Lebowski enough. I realize whenever you and I hang out, I got to change that. Yeah, a, a good Big Lebowski quote really ties the room together. <laughs> <laughs> so the the dark man origin scene. So he he and his lab buddy, they're trying to create the the, the they're working on something that will basically replace a uh, lost skin tissue. Yeah, it's artificial skin that would permanently replace lost skin like for burn victims or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But they can't get it to stabilize. It only lasts for 99 minutes and then it deteriorates. And And they they, figure out and they figure out it's photosensitive. It's because. Yes. Yes. Because of the light. And then when they find this out, uh, that's when Robert G. Durant and buddies come in and wreck their shit because they're looking for a particular document that could basically unravel Colin Friel's uh, corruption because Colin Friel's he he is that classic ultra tech rich guy who just wants to have a city built in his design. You know, he he wants to so picture this listeners. Say you have a guy who is like all of a sudden like really interested in trying to buy like some kind of social media website and mold it into his likening image. And we'll go as far as to basically insult 
a group of people who lean towards like one political party. You know, <laughs> he, he wants to like own the libs or something like that. I'm not going to get into the fact that it's mostly people who are liberals who buy his cars because they're electric. Uh, <laughs> because people who he's trying to cater to don't care about the environment on the other side. But yeah, uh, it, it basically, that's that's who the main villain is. And you got Robert G. Durant. I'm sorry, I can't say his name any other way. That's his name. He's basically kind of going out there to get all the dirty work done for him. And the scene where he wrecks the laboratory there's a lot going on there and i'm not talking about just the killing of the lab assistant in front of peyton westlake the burning of peyton westlake's hands which has that amazing stop motion animation where his hands deteriorate oh yeah that was really cool we got to talk about robert g durant and ted raimi <laughs> ted raimi oh they that. have a whole they have a whole relationship that i want to get into but did you catch mm. what durant called the lab assistant no what do you call him he calls him Westlake's houseboy. Oh my god! <laughs> and I immediately had this flash of because I was just uh, like Saturday. I threw on a Kamel Nanjiani stand-up special, waiting for Amanda to finish getting ready so we could go out to dinner and go see um, a play. And <laughs> Kamel Nanjiani tells a story about watching Freddy versus Jason in the theater. And <laughs> at one point in the film. Freddie has the choice between going after this white girl or going after this black girl. And he chooses the black girl and he says, mm, dark meat. Oh, and, God. And Nanjiani says that the the audience groaned at that. It was like, yeah, <laughs> we were okay with you killing people with your needle gloves, Freddy Krueger. But racism? I don't think so. <laughs> it's like they were so disappointed in Freddy Krueger for being a racist. It's like, and and Durant has that kind of Freddy Krueger racist moment. It's like, mm, Durant, I really want to like you, but racism, uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, cause, I, yeah, because you know, listeners, you know, we we apparently back in the '90s, audiences loved Durant so much he had to be back for Durant, uh, the return of Durant. Yes, with a title that good, you yes. you have to keep him around. The, the iconic Robert G. Durant, the greatest cinematic villain of all time. <laughs> Ant Anton Chigurh, take a seat. It's like Durant, Verbal Kent, Anton Chigurh, <laughs> the Joker. <laughs> Darth Vader, Hans Landa. Exactly. Norman, oh, yeah. Yeah, Norman, Norman Bates, Bates, Nurse Ratched. The guy who a, shot Bambi. Take a fucking seat. Robert <laughs> G. Durant is coming at your convenience stores. <laughs> <laughs> and that will be just fine. But, but yeah, we, his um his relationship with Ted Raimi was real fun. So fascinating because you can't, I can't. At first, it's like okay, is Ted Raimi like is he like kind of like his apprentice or something like that? But he's a little bit too affectionate towards him. To maybe I was going to say, I think they're lovers. They, I th I th I think Ted Raimi's his boyfriend. Yeah, I don't think there's any way to get around it. Like he's. Or, He's oh, really Durant is really kind to Ted Raimi. He's like he's really loving towards him in these little subtle ways and sometimes not so subtle ways that I don't think he's a henchman. I think it's his boyfriend. Yeah, and and he's getting his boyfriend involved in his criminal activities like Yeah, he's like he wants to share this with him. Yeah. Yeah, he wants to share it with him and he even and he even lets uh, Ted Raimi do the honors and of course it freaks out Ted Raimi's character cuz he looks like horrified by what he did. But Durant's like, "No, no, you did great. Clean through the head. Just the way I like it." 
Like mm-hmm. he's like you you did exactly what you needed to do. Like you you were you were beautiful. You're beautiful. I could kiss you right now, kind of thing. So oh, it's that, interesting. My note, interesting. my note is actually um, because because what what was so surprising to me was when they're hanging out at the party, and I think Darkman is surveilling the party. Mm-hmm. And Durant asked Ted Raimi if he wants some champagne, and then he goes and gets him a drink. And like my note was, does Durant work for Ted Raimi? But I think it was quickly there in that process, like, oh no, they're just a couple. And that's sweet. He's being sweet. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's being sweet to him, and um, which does make it interesting that he never he doesn't talk about Ted Raimi again after Ted Raimi's uh, death scene, which we'll we'll talk about in a bit. Oh, he does. Uh, he's like oh, yeah. he's like looking for because I can't remember Ted Raimi's character's name, but at the time I was like he's he's very upset. He wants to know where he is. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Oh uh, yeah, yes, 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 yes. Uh, oh God, Polly. That's that's the thing, Polly. That's right. Well, Polly's the bald guy. Yeah, Polly's the bald guy. And yeah, Durant or um, Darkman sets up Polly because yeah, Pauly- he like po- he poses as Polly to take Durant's money and frame mm-hmm. Polly like he stole it and is running away with Ted Raimi's character like yes. like their lovers and that makes Durant insane because Ted Raimi's his boyfriend and he ain't gonna deal with that nonsense. And he and he just lost his boyfriend because he thinks he lost his boyfriend to not he lost his, yeah. Yeah, he lost his boyfriend to Woos Brillis. <laughs> Woos Brillis, indeed. Oh, my God. Before we get to Woos Brillis, Ted Raimi's death scene. Oh, is, it's it was harrowing. When we learn. It's, it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. When we when we learn about, like, what Darkman is capable of, because you have to understand, listeners, uh, poor Peyton got blown up out of his factory got fished up by jenny agater from american werewolf in london gets poked. that was jenny agater yeah as the as the as the main doctor in that wow. in that scene yeah jenny agater yeah. somehow i never recognized jenny agater in anything <laughs> but that's her from american werewolf in london and logan's run and walkabout that's her and uh from also- captain america civil war captain america civil war and also or no, winter soldier She's not in oh, Civil War. Oh, Winter oh, Soldier the... and Avengers. She's in. Yes, yes, uh, yeah, because she's one of the um, one of the the heads. That, yeah, uh, she's the uh, uh, yeah, she's on that panel of is it is committee, it pow- you know is it is it Powers Booth on that committee as well? Yep, yeah, he sure oh, okay. was. Okay, all right, all right. But he was a Hydra agent. Ah, uh, that's right. Well, I mean, Powers Booth being a Hydra agent that checks out because he's always good at playing bad guys. Yep, totally. But uh, but yeah, J- Jenny Agater pokes uh pokes Darkman a number of times. It's like you know, yeah. stick her with this, and you can't feel. That's a my thing. note. It's like she seems to enjoy it. It's like she says, "Look, he can't feel anything. Poke, 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 poke. He's bleeding now, but he can't feel it." <laughs> she would have. She would have been an interesting antagonist in a future Darkman if you had like the proper team back together. She's a way better villain than yeah than Durant. Robert G. Durant. Yes, way better. Like <laughs> if they a- brought her back as this like mm. souped up coked up nurse ratchet well, yeah way better oh yeah oh my god liam neeson versus jenny agater dude i'm getting fucking rock hard thinking about it right now oh my god <laughs> this as, is what as, film was made for oh yeah as long as long as john landis doesn't show his face i'm good because he because he does show up in this movie <laughs> as one of the doctors he doesn't have a line but he has like a cameo experience it's like oh yeah you're that guy that got people killed during the making of your movie uh of your segment of the twilight zone movie God, oh, I, I I just downloaded a podcast about that, so I'm sure they're gonna cover it in great detail. I I wasn't sure what happened on the Twilight Zone movie or why there was a oh, podcast about it. Oh Lord, Joe. I'm looking forward to it. 
Oh boy. I mean, brace yourself cuz uh all right, cuz I, I I have watched uh footage of that accident uh and I've read the I've read a book about it too. It's called Outrageous Conduct. It's a really great book, but it's also really hard to come by. I had to get it checked out from a library from my old hometown because there was not a book available in Chicago, which was weird. It's called yeah, it's called Outrageous Conduct Art Ego and uh the Twilight Zone Incident, I think is the name of it. Uh, it's, it's a hell of a read and John Landis does not look good. I honestly, I think he should have gone to jail for that. And yeah, just seeing him, this is like, Oh God, you're, you're not only the guy that like got three people, two of which were children killed during the making of uh, your segment on the twilight zone, the movie. You also gave us Max Landis. Who's also a scumbag. Yeah. As long as he doesn't show up in this hypothetical sequel of Liam Neeson, dark man, Versus Jenny Agutter, sadistic nurse who finds <laughs> who finds poor Peyton <laughs> washed up on the river, uh, having his little Joker origin story of sorts. <laughs> not Jenny's- only not only does she poke him a bunch of times, like what's the point of spinning him around on that thing? Like that's just got to be part of the torture, right? Oh, it absolutely has to be part of the torture. And there's he- no medical reason to take a burn victim, strap him in face, like standing up into a big spinning circle and then spin them around forever. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, that's the thing. I, I think they were, I think, I think she might've been a setup for like a potential, you know, future villain. So if, if Raimi had it his way, I feel like she was yeah. more set up to be the villain. Sam, I know uh, you and uh, I hear that Liam Neeson are interested in revisiting dark man. If you are Jenny Agater as that doctor from the first dark man, as your main antagonist, I'm telling yeah. you, dude. I'm telling you, dude. Because Jenny Agutter still kicks ass. She's still awesome. Yeah, and, and she's still working, and she's and she's good in what she does. And I want to, I want to see her as the main antagonist. I want to, and I want to see, you know, don't don't give us Robert G. Durant. Well, so you can't do that because Larry Drake has passed away. Uh, but also, like, don't don't do Robert G. Durant. Just give us that character, like, because that was. She actually came off to me as like the most disturbed character of the film. And she's so cheery about it as well. Like like she's proud of this specimen that she found. And that's yeah. the thing, specimen. It's her it's her favorite pet. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's a specimen, not a person, not a person of flesh and blood. Yeah, science doesn't make out well in this movie. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> there are very good people on both sides. <laughs> good lord. We were talking about um uh Woos Brillis. Now is yeah, a good time. I mean, now is a good time to get into the disguises. I, I liked I like the structure of the film. Mm-hmm. I like I like that Westlake as Dark Man with his technology, he seeks his revenge by destroying everything about Durant's life. Yes. He's like, I'm gonna take his money, I'm going to make him question all of his like business associates, I'm gonna make him look bad to his boss, I'm gonna destroy his life. And it's like that's a really fun style of wrench story to me like the real the TV pilot the tv pilot was such a failure i mean it had no story but it was mostly a failure because it's like westlake insanely just trying to murder durant it's like well dark man should be able to do that no problem but yeah. you're just incompetent the, but that, that's the thing yeah the whole point is that he doesn't want to like he doesn't want to just murder durant he wants to kill his soul yeah he wants to destroy this man and he wants him to live through being destroyed so like the way he dismantles his business and his reputation and his life is so fun to watch in this. Oh yeah. Especially when he becomes Durant. Like yeah. uh, like oh my god. 
the the whole thing why we call him Robert G. Durant listeners. There's a part where he disguises Robert G. Durant, robs a convenience store, and then turns and looks at the security camera and says who he is. <laughs> it is I, Robert G. Durant. <laughs> so good. Oh my god. It is just amazing. And obviously, yeah, the next thing you see, the next scene you see. Cops show up at the actual Robert G. Durant's house. He says, yeah, yes, I'm Robert G. Durant. Slap the cuffs on him immediately and <laughs> take him in. <laughs> we, we take these minor convenience store robberies very seriously. <laughs> because Westlake didn't shoot the convenience store guy, right? He did not, no. Yeah, because I was like, that would cross a line, even though it gets him like gets him off the streets faster. People take it more seriously. They're like, he's not going to do that. But mm-hmm. why was it, why was his go-to framing of Durant robbing a liquor store? It was probably the one thing he felt comfortable that he had access to. Yeah. It was like just the closest thing. Mm. <laughs> he's not thinking clearly for sure. Oh, Oh God. No. Uh, and we'll, have, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the psychology of dark man in a bit because that's, that's another subject right there. Oh my God. Cause yeah, by this point, yeah, dark man, he's kind of fucked up in the head. I mean, oh my God! The big thing when he's uh, when he's interrogating Ted Raimi, takes him down to the sewers, is basically fucking waterboarding him. And mm-hmm. Ted Raimi, te- Ted Raimi's like, "I told you everything I know," and he's like, "I know you did, I know, but let's pretend that you didn't." <laughs> and, like, and then has him killed. <laughs> then like shoves him up through a manhole cover yeah. into a busy street and just holds him there until someone runs him over. T- someone, someone crushes his fucking head. With their tires. <laughs> yeah, it's, th- it's a wild sequence when Ted Raimi dies. Yeah, all for the sake of pretending that he didn't tell him everything that he knew. When he knew that he told them everything that he knew. He he is that enraged at his condition. <laughs> yeah, classic anti-hero. Oh my god. <laughs> such, such a gleeful anti-hero too. My god. And the then, disguises, and the disguises were strangest to me during the climax because it was a lot of dark man throwing on the mask of one of the henchmen, but also throwing a Westlake mask on one of the henchmen. And oh my god! Mask on top of that mask. <laughs> yes. And I was like, it seems like he knows what's going to happen, but in the reality of the movie, he can't. He can't like have it planned out that it's going to work out that perfectly. So I feel like. It's just just ludicrous. (laughs) I mean, the thing is, like, he would have to have all those masks. Because the thing is, like, those masks take time to prep. Like, we're we're shown, like, how long it takes for... Well, it takes... To make a Westlake mask, the first Westlake mask, it takes 24 days. Yes. Um, And I think that's because the The, the source material was damaged. Yeah, Yeah, the the source material was burned, yeah. Uh, which but even, it, apparently it's the only picture he has of himself, which I guess makes sense in 1990 that he wouldn't have pictures of himself mm-hmm. lying around. But like yeah. he, he photoshops it and the computer knows exactly what he wants. And it still takes 24 days to make this mask where he can make anything else he wants. And like, I mean, four seconds. I mean c- computers back in 1990 were garbage compared to what we could do nowadays. So that that I do kind of believe <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I, he was on dial up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember I remember a time, Joe, where when we when we had this thing called the internet, which was a brand new thing. You would go to a website and there was an icon that said that this this contained a picture. You would have to click it and then the page <laughs> would reload and then it would show you basically like a crappy resolution image that you were trying to look at. <laughs> 
So yeah, you you don't know what's a boob, what's a butt. I know it was yeah. it was hard. Exactly, it's hard being a '90s kid. It, it was especially especially like circa 1995. Oh my god, searching the web was like such a brand new thing. And if you had dial up, which is what most of us had, yeah, it, it took you like a good 20 minutes just to go through a series of like five nude pictures. So porn was a little iffy. It was like, fuck, I'll just read a magazine. God. It, was, it was like at that point, you might as well just imagine a boob. You're just like, you're going to, it's much more boob. efficient. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'll, I'll throw out another quick recommendation because uh, I just watched. Werner Herzog's documentary about the history of the internet called Lo and Behold. Oh. And that was that was really fun. So I would recommend that. So yeah, yeah, the disguises part that is interesting because yeah, you have the one where it takes 24 days for the Matthew Sword. And then we don't really see like just how long other than the nose, where it takes like a while for it to like actually like fully process. Well, we're led to apply during like the beginning of like the third act, basically. When Durant's henchmen come and basically storm the the state, the the factory where uh, Robocop killed uh, Clarence Boddicker and his henchmen, and is also the same factory that uh, Jack Napier falls into a vat of chemicals and turns into the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that factory looks like. And we'll we'll and we'll talk about Batman in a little bit because we do have to we do have to bring up Batman on a couple of instances, uh, mainly Danny Elfman. I was gonna say the uh, the score sounds so <laughs> I, much like Batman. My, my my note is like this is legally not the Batman score. <laughs> <laughs> Dark Man is like a shade different from Batman, and the Spider Man score is a shade different from Dark Man in a weird way. <laughs> Yeah, you like you could see Danny Elfman like swinging on branches. Yes, <laughs> getting getting further away from his own IP. Yeah, and and Justice League the theatrical cut is a shade away from actually putting in any kind of effort whatsoever in his music. <laughs> Sorry, Danny Elfman, I could tell you were collecting that check for that movie. I don't care how much you want to shit on Hans Zimmer for his Batman yeah. scores, you did not care. You did not. When uh. <laughs> when I, I saw Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, Dan, Danny Elfman's name popped up. I was like, oh, that makes sense. The score is kind of dull. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's like, I should have seen that coming. Well, don't tell that to Danny Elfman. He'll tell you it's the best thing. It's the best score that Doctor Strange has ever gotten in, in, the, in the entire <laughs> career of Doctor Strange. Disagree. And how, I mean, well... I'm not going to argue that because I'm taking your word for it because, yeah, all I remember for uh, Justice League with the with the Danny Elfman score was like, oh, wow, we're you're just you're just going to repeat things we've already heard before and do literally nothing else. OK. Yep. Oh, there's there's your own Batman theme. Oh, there's John Williams Superman theme. And he, he actually he actually does a couple of those in Multiverse of Madness as well. Oh, lovely. lovely. I mean, probably more effectively because like mm. Professor X shows up and they we get a little trill of the 90s X-Men theme song. I was like, mm. oh, that's fun. Like the TV show, the animated series. Oh, OK. That, OK, OK. Yeah. That's that's actually that actually is a little fun. Whereas the Justice League is like, wow, it must be nice to get paid like, you know, millions of dollars to do literally no effort at all. <laughs> Not that uh, other people aren't guilty of this. Like. No, I was just talk, like I was talking about this with Hans Zimmer with someone because the Gladiator score is the same as the Pirates of the Caribbean score. <laughs> oh, they are absolutely. <laughs> it's it's crazy, which which is why I kind of like some of the some of the collaborations he's been doing as of late. Like, because you have some with uh, Christopher Nolan where he's basically being told by Christopher Nolan and even a Denny Villeneuve, okay, do something different. And yeah. no, 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 seriously do something different 
Well, what do you mean? It's oh, like, like, well, like Fury Road, like that like collaboration Fury. was fire. Yeah. Yeah, that was fire. Uh, Dune was fire. Interstellar was fire. It's oh, like, yeah. Interstellar is wonderful. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Christopher Nolan's like, okay, here's the aspect you're going to use. And Hans Zimmer was probably thinking, hey, uh, we use the brass section, we use the percussion. And he's like, no, you're going to use a pipe organ. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, this is what you're doing. <laughs> and then uh, Denis Villeneuve was like, all right, I'm doing Dune. Don't listen to anything that anyone's ever done about Dune before. Just let this one speak to you. Let, let your inner teenager who read the book speak to you kind of thing. <laughs> and also throw in some throat singing too, please. Because mm-hmm. that's wonderful. Uh, but yeah, Danny Elfman's score to this. There was one track that I did kind of like because of just how insane the brass goes. And it's during the helicopter chase. Because you have a portion of the music that just goes... Where I just picture like the entire trumpet section passing out. from playing like these incredibly high notes as loud as possible (laughs) during that chase scene it's after the the factory scene where like you see all the fake masks and everything like that robert g durant and friends are in a helicopter where robert g durant's got like a grenade launcher and dark man's hanging on the helicopter and they're being chased by the police and this the brass section on that score just goes fucking nuts and it's also where the movie goes nuts, too, because you have Dark Man flying through windows saying, excuse me, to people who are just, like, enjoying an afternoon lunch at the Signature Building in Chicago. Uh, and then you have him dodging traffic. You have him getting hit by the uh, the classic Sam Raised Me Oldsmobile. You have, um, you have Dark Man doing, like, a Looney Tunes running gag on the top of a truck during the sequence as well. Yeah. Like every every gag of the book during the scene, and it's also supposed to be like intense at the same time because it's the protagonist against like the second the sub boss basically, <laughs> who's got the high ground, and you know what happens when you get the high ground, <laughs> it's over. I can't believe they didn't turn Dark Man into like a kids cartoon because it's like yeah. it has that it has that energy and like there's other kids cartoons that come from really dark source material like I mean, robocop we, and even ninja turtles rambo like, was a rambo was a cartoon as well oh i forgot about the rambo cartoon mm-hmm. oh so everybody, everybody did <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so it feels like that would have been a, a prime way to expand this was as an animated mm-hmm. series Especially Absolutely. in 1990, especially at this oh, time, yeah. <laughs> like you have this renaissance of animated superhero things happening. Oh, Batman, like, Ma- uh, Batman, the animated series is like number one. Yeah, Batman, X Men, Spider Man's a little later. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, at, and Superman came afterwards too. Uh, and yeah, that... Superman was a little later. Yep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Darkman would have been perfect as like an animated series, and then like you just have like all of these bizarre characters that could come across characters with a little bit more creativity than Robert G. Durant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, totally. It's like you need mm-hmm. he needs real supervillains to fight. Like actually, like Darkman would have been like a good contrast with something like The Mask, which is also a, a really The dark... Mask was an anime. That's the other one I was trying to think of. Was mm-hmm. yeah, they turned The Mask into an animated series, even though that's the... really. The source material is really wild and dark. Dark and violent. And actually yeah. Excessively violent. Yeah, it's in this chase scene where we see Robert G. Durant totally not die. when <laughs> Totally totally not die. He's totally fine. Totally fine. Don't worry, kids. The, the helicopter that he's riding in gets hooked to the back of a truck, and it collides with an underpass or an overpass. 
and the whole thing explodes. So if he if he didn't die from the explosion, he was crushed to death. It like, explodes as if Durant himself were made out of kerosene. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. And yeah, to the point where he where uh after it happens, you get the postmortem one liner burn in hell, and he's laughing like, you know, the devil, basically, Dark Man is. And then you get to the climax with the with, you know, everything coming full circle. Colin Friels is the big bad uh who wants to build this big metropolis in his name. He's basically like the Lex Luthor of the movie. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a strong Lex Luthor parallel because Lex Luthor's thing at least in the movies at this time was just like real estate fraud. Oh yeah. So he's very Lex Luthery. And that's exactly him here. And uh Dark Man goes in disguised as Robert T. Durant. And Which gets- I for a second thought Durant survived the helicopter crash. Yeah. I was like, oh no, he's fine. He has a little cut. And then I realized a few minutes in, I was like, oh no, Dark Man is Durant. <laughs> yeah, there's no way that he survived that. There's absolutely no way he survived. And 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 it's not and it's not the sheer implausibility of him surviving the helicopter crash that gets him outed, but he gets outed because uh, because uh, Colin Friels makes a comment like you know about his kids and everything, and uh, uh, not Robert G. Durant goes, my kids do look up to me, and then he goes, no, you don't have any kids, Robert, and that takes the mask mm-hmm. off, and then obviously you know <laughs> makes fun of them and everything for his looks. I love I love that under his Durant mask he was wearing his bandages. Yes. <laughs> Which slowly, and I love that or slowly was deteriorate, it, yeah. Yeah. I was he? Maybe he wasn't wearing the bandages then, but when he was wearing a Westlake mask when he was facing Durant on the helicopter and Durant ripped his face off, his Westlake I, face. Yeah, he, he has, was wearing the bandages. He he was wearing the bandages then, yeah. Whenever yeah, whenever he's going as Durant, he actually is not wearing the bandages. Like his entire yeah, face is that exposed. is that is correct. But I thought it was I just thought it was weird he threw on a, a Westlake mask to go fight Durant. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and he's wearing them over his bandages, no less. And he's wearing it over his bandages, yes. That last fight on the building under construction. Did you notice something about the the henchman that got uh hooked up by the by the bottom of his pants on that hook? Did you notice anything about his voice? No. That was Bruce Campbell. You know that oh, okay. that, that over the top that oh no 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 help me. That is uh Bruce Campbell doing the voice, and because because I see the Evil Dead movies, uh, all three of them. And this one, like, it's it's like a kind of a good balance between the the darkness of Evil Dead Two, but also the silliness of it, and then just like the sheer absurdity of Army of Darkness. Bruce Campbell screams a lot in those movies, and so that particular hedge would be voiced by Bruce Campbell whenever he's like falling to his death after getting uh, after the cable gets snapped by the nail gun. That's sc- I don't know why that scream kills me every time i watch it (laughs) because it's so over the top like it's like it's like a mortal combat death scream where it doesn't it doesn't sound like oh this is like an unpleasant scream to listen to it's it's more like a like a tom from tom and jerry hurts himself kind of scream just so over the top it's so like not the voice that you would associate with that body uh i didn't notice i'll have to go back and check it out so yeah 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 bruce campbell who i think was originally up for the role of dark man but the studio was like no we need to have somebody a little bit what, what was weird is that bruce campbell he was always a bit more of a of that cult actor actually i would say more so than even someone like a kurt because because kurt, kurt russell like he was a he was a he was a lead in like big movies and such Bruce Campbell never really had that. Like he was always kind of like a supporting role, or even like a cameo, like in the Spider-Man trilogy and stuff like that. Uh, I understand that. I I would not surprise me if he was in Multiverse of Madness as a Sam Raimi movie. So obviously, Bruce I'll Campbell. never tell. Hmm. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. in there. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course he's in there. Why like it'd be so weird if he weren't. The biggest non-spoiler spoiler of Multiverse of Madness is Bruce Campbell's in the movie. Bruce Campbell shows up for a cameo. If anybody's surprised that Bruce Campbell shows up in a Sam Raimi movie, uh, listeners, uh, please don't cancel me. I got I, I, ruining I, Multiverse of Madness for you. I got I got a sign to sell you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Bruce Campbell. Yeah, he he has some he has some audio cameos, and then he does have a visual cameo at the very end of the movie. Yep, he shows up at the very end as Westlake's new identity, mm-hmm. who's credited as Final Shump. Which is a nod to the Three Stooges. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. One thing I do love about the ending of um, Dark Man is that I guess basically like the entire character arc of Peyton Westlake. You know, he he's a mild mannered scientist. You know, he's got some ambitions, but like his his ambitions are completely noble because they're basically to treat people with um with the with the skin burn issues. Then he becomes horribly traumatized. And horribly injured by this uh, this terrible thing that's happened to him. He can't feel pain, but his emotions are heightened. And he becomes so dead set on ruining one man's life. The one man who took it all away. That's Robert G. Durant. And then by the end of the movie, he completely abandons society and decides that he's going to live alone. <laughs> like, he can't, he can't even live with the woman that he loves. And he still loves her like- at the end of it, yeah. And she loves him and, like, is totally willing to accept this and work past it. But he's like David Banner at the end of every Incredible Hulk. Like, yep, mm-hmm. I can't do it. I got to walk away from everything. It's like, no, we're cool. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're the incre- stay yeah, the, here. Yeah, the Incredible Hulk is another good comparison I would make to uh, uh, Dark Man. There's very much, like, an Incredible Hulk aspect to him. So, mm-hmm. yeah. God, what a, what a weird movie. What a weird, fun, oddball <laughs> movie that they would never make again in 100 years. <laughs> Yeah, they want to make a sequel too now. I I could see them rebooting Dark Man in some form. Like, yeah, I could see them doing it. Ah, man, but like, if you're gonna reboot it, like, do something more beyond Robert G. Durant. Oh yeah, for sure. Please, like, we need a new villain. We need a we need a new direction for it. Yes, but I could see them take like. There's a nice mythology to Dark Man. Like, it's a oh, yeah. pretty well thought out superhero story. Absolutely, absolutely, and um. And and also this, the the potential of all the ways they could pay homage to classic cinema. Like I love how much of a love letter this is to the universal horror films. God, what 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 would you do with this? I mean, uh, hopefully not Hammer Horror because Tim Burton already did that. Giallo maybe? Because you got you just know, get real weird and gross with it. Yeah, yeah. Because you got because you got the guy with the dressed in black. Maybe he wears gloves, perhaps to to cover his burned hands. Especially because if he can't feel pain, but if he wants to cover himself up, like, I don't see why he couldn't wear gloves. Yeah, he might as well. Because he he basically just wears bandages. There's a weird moment where, like, he notices his hands are fucked up for the first time. It's after his hand is on fire? Yeah, that's when he notices that they took away his hands. Like, he never looked at his hands before then. (laughs) I know. It was so weird to me. I was like, how did you not notice that? Like... Yeah, certainly, certainly you've masturbated since this has happened. Like, there's no way that hasn't happened. So it's like it's been long enough that you should have noticed what's going on with your hands. <laughs> yeah. And, and if anything happened to his uh, reproductive organs, I feel like we would have had a scene about that. I feel like if he can't feel pain, maybe he can't. Maybe he's impotent as well. Maybe that's why he has that's rage possi- issues. That's a possibility. Uh, I mean, actually, that would really that would check out. That would check out completely because the severed nerves and everything is like mm-hmm. it's, it's got to be a byproduct of all that he has no libido anymore. It's like it's like the villain in um 
it's like the Robert Carlyle villain role in um, World's Not Enough, where he can't feel pain, but he also can't feel pleasure. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't feel anything. Yeah. Good, good pull, Robert Carlyle. What, what else? What else about uh, the Man of Dark? There's a there's a bullshit thing that happens in this movie that every time I see it in a movie, it's like that's bullshit. <laughs> and, and it's when uh, Francis McDormand at the climax is handcuffed. And oh she, God. She falls off the building, but like catches the handcuff on a girder or something, and it does not immediately rip off both of her hands. <laughs> well, okay, one, it doesn't rip off her hands. Two, somehow her body passed through that, but the the handcuff chain catches it. Yeah, that's a good point too. Is like she must have like whipped it behind her head at just the right time to catch it. Like that's that's bullshit. Oh yeah, that's a that, that's all kinds of bullshit. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, this is getting like, a But, like, I heard a story when I was a kid about a guy who wanted to go bungee jumping, and he just, like, wrapped a rope around his ankle and jumped off a bridge to go bungee jumping. Oh, no. And instantly ripped his foot off. And I that's always stuck with me. Every time I see anything like that in a movie, it's like, that would just rip his foot off. That would just rip her hands off. Like, there's no way they would just land and be fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> catch and be fine. That doesn't work. It doesn't work that way at all. Yeah, I mean... It's the thing, you know, yeah, you have that all that inertia and then that uh that velocity comes in and then if something causes it to come to a stop, you know, that energy's gotta go somewhere. Especially something like locked and rigid like handcuffs. Mm. Yeah. Like it would slice her hands clean off. Yeah. And that oh my god, you wanna talk about it. And then she'd have to get them replaced with gun hands and come up with (laughs) hand guns. (laughs) Now there's a superhero origin story. There's a there's a sequel. That's a sequel. Francis McDormand with gun hands. <laughs> Fucking love it. Absolutely. Sam Raimi, if you're listening. Julie. Sam Raimi should have been friends with us instead of yeah. Bruce Campbell. It's like nothing against Bruce Campbell, but, you know, we mm-hmm. have we have ideas. Julie. Probably could have saved that Spider-Man trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> Give us Julie with handguns. Right. The return of Jurant. <laughs> God, what else about Darkman? I don't know. I just I think I just have other like little random notes that are of little consequence. I mean, um, we 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 can hear those out, or if you want to go to some guilty pleasures. Oh, I was curious what he told Julie to get away, but they kind of cover his cover story later. He has this cover story that he has to go back to the hospital every day. Yes, <laughs> and to continue like his his physical therapy or whatever. When he's out and about and doing fine, he's just no scarring. He's he's totally fine. But he's like, yeah, I go back to the hospital, do my exercises, and you can't come. But don't read too much into that, <laughs> right? <laughs> so again, another problem I have with Julie is like she doesn't really question these things enough. She doesn't follow him. She doesn't investigate. She just like yeah, I seems f- to accept things. I, f- I feel like I feel like a proper rewrite of this. Like Julie would be a little bit more understandably so. Just be kind of like like what are you talking about, Peyton? Like what's going on? <laughs> it's also interesting that she does not break things off with the other guy. Until like after the fair, like after the circus. Well, it's it's not just after the fair, but also um after she kind of finds out. Well, all, she has that. I remember she has that scene with the guy where um he goes into like his big diabolical plans and he yeah kind he of, monologues. He inadvertently reveals the laboratory that got blown up was uh, done by him, and she goes, "If you're not gonna kill me, I have some things I need to do." that moment was where it it kind of broke it off (laughs) and or she breaks it off with him he does not like 
He does oh not. Boy, you you kill two or three more of my boyfriends, and we're gonna have a real tiff, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> you did a real tickety boo, Colin Friels. That guy must be just amazing in bed. Like he must just have the most unbelievable charisma. That like she goes for him and keeps seeing him because I can understand like her grieving and like just wanting to feel something. But, like, she maintains this relationship with this guy who's clearly an evil monster. He must, he's just got to be that good. He's probably got to have, like, some kind of Christian Grey sex dungeon or something like that. Could be. But he's, or there's like, but he's the masochist in that one. So <laughs> There's, like, a scene in Fleabag. I don't know if you ever watched Fleabag. I have not. Oh, it's incredible. It's, it's two right. very short seasons. The second season is Adam Scott. Just, it's unbelievable. Mm. And near the, near the end of Fleabag... She's like on a date with this guy and he's really arrogant. He's like talking himself up and he's like this bro guy and he's talking about how great, great he is in bed. And she keeps looking at the camera like he's not going to be great in bed. <laughs> it's like, and then it cuts to them fucking in and she's like losing her mind. Like, oh my God, he's, he's unbelievable. <laughs> it's like the best sex she's ever had is like this knobby oh, douchebag. And I was like, I feel like that's the dynamic here. <laughs> Who, who'd have thought that Torx Adam Scott would be amazing in bed? <laughs> oh, it, it's not it's not Adam Scott, but uh God, Adam Scott should have won like awards or shit for the second season of Fleabag because oh yeah Christ. Oh yeah. Incredible. <laughs> that's a strong series. I heard they were gonna wrap it up with like a, a special. All right. Like they do sometimes with British series, but with COVID, I think maybe it got delayed and mm. canceled or I don't know. I hope it I hope they do something because I mean it wrapped up fine with the two seasons, but oh yeah. I want more I want more Fleabag. It's funny, uh, as we were talking about this, I feel like I, I got into Colin Friel's character's uh, Guilty Pleasure, excuse me. Oh, okay, nice transition here. So yeah, should we go into Guilty Pleasures? Yes, you give me any character you want to tell you their Guilty Pleasure, and I will give you any character I want. But we can also talk about your Friel one. So Okay, oh, uh, Colin Friel's character is Louis Strack Jr. That's the character's name. He's the evil billionaire. I just kept a character as Colin Friel's because I knew the actor's name. But I would like to know from you the guilty pleasure of the main doctor portrayed by Jenny Agutter. It's going to be hard to come up with one that's not on screen. Mm -hmm. Because clearly it's torturing our patients. (laughs) 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 Okay. So, and I want you to do the legless henchman. Oh, yes. Yes. Because that has to happen. I'll tell you what. I'll go first. The thing that really annoys the the legless henchman is that whenever he he gets called out on these jobs, he just wants to be alone with his leg because his leg can do so many things. Not only is there a gun on the leg, but there are other devices that he can attach onto that leg. Like the leg isn't just what helps him walk around. The leg is everything. It is his passion. And that leg can do so many wonderful things. In fact, what you don't see, but you know is there, is that the leg has attachments uh, for sex toys. I was going to say, clearly the heel opens up and is a fleshlight, yeah. A fleshlight, yeah. He Basically what he'll do is he'll, he'll fuck his fake foot. And I'm realizing I just said that sentence out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know we were going there tonight. <laughs> I mean, this is called Dark Man. Because you have to be, it has to be after dark to watch the movie. But yeah, uh, his 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 leg, which is also a gun, 
is also a treasure trove of things that just kind of help him get through his miserable life, including a fleshlight so he can fuck his foot, which is <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's wildest dream come true. Yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't cut off his own foot just to have that option. <laughs> Joe, tell us the guilty pleasure of the main doctor portrayed by Jenny Agutter. <laughs> Jenny Agutter. Agutter, yes. Uh, say a gutter because my mind is in the gutter. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> the gutter. Jenny, Jenny the gutter. Something about the big spinning wheel makes me think that her guilty pleasure might be training for like American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> there you go so like she climbs up at like a, a a hamster wheel and tries to like jump and stay off the floor and like she's got this lab set up so that she's constantly training it doesn't matter if patients are in there patients are strapped to this thing it's like yeah it's just another obstacle for me to train on so i think she really wants to go on american ninja warrior and show her stuff I think that's her guilty pleasure along with like ignoring the AIDS epidemic. I think she really gets off on like not doing her duty as a medical officer. That 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 would check out. That would definitely check out. Cause she a sadist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me come on, Quantico Guilty, as always. You're welcome. Uh, Do you have any plugs or recommendations? Well, uh, other than to remind you of the two, I will go ahead and give my plug a recommendation. Over the weekend, uh, there was a film uh, that was distributed on Blu-ray via Gold Ninja Video called Dinosaurs in a Mining Facility. I watched this with a group of friends, and my God, my hand to God, one of the funniest movies I've seen in a long, long time. Dinosaurs in a Mining Facility is a really cute, charming comedy, basically akin to a, a Tanny and the T-Trex. Um, <laughs> t -t Tanny and the Tricks. Tanny and the Tricks, exactly. Or Tammy and the T-Rex, if you want to call it that way, too. Basic. Okay, so the, the premise is that it, it is a low-budget movie. Very low-budget movie. That is literally about, you know, this, this town, you know, kind of doing its normal town things. And then dinosaurs show up inside of a mining facility. And not just any mining facility, but it's a mining facility under what is literally called the Job Factory. It is bizarre. It is also hilarious, and it's really charming. But also, the people who made this movie know that, hey, let's just let's get together, let's put on a show, let's have some fun. And not only are they having fun, but <laughs> they're definitely making it with the intention of us to have fun, too. Like, they're not trying... They're not, like, overshooting their boundaries. They're not trying to, like, be overly ambitious. They're just making something completely fun to watch and what it turned actually what makes it that makes it to me even more endearing to watch so if you check out gold ninja video you can find blu-ray copies of this there's a limited run of them so you'll all get the skinny on it first uh, i recommend checking out the trailer to see if this is going to be kind of up your speed because i feel like dinosaurs and mining facility would be like a good like cinemuck episode but i would definitely give it a cinemuck salvation uh for those who our patrons and have listened to Cinemuck. Imagine if Wakaliwood, the guys who made Who Killed Captain Alex, decided they wanted to do Jurassic Park. And the results are of that ilk. And it's got a touch of that, like, kids in the hall kind of humor. That's my recommendation. Joe, you wanted me to remind you that you have an it-related recommendation, and you also want to recommend Lo and Behold, a documentary by Werner Herzog. Tell us all about that. Yes. Yes. Uh, lo and Behold, it's... 
an interesting like history of the internet and the ups and downs and the potential and the terrifyingness. And I recommend that. But um, I mentioned that Amanda and I went to a play on Saturday. We went to see Aaron Sorkin's new adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, shit. Nice. And I highly recommend that if you're able to see it. It's off-Broadway in New York right now, and we saw the touring production, which is, you know, jumping around the country, and has probably already left Chicago, but I don't know where it's going, but I highly recommend it, because it wasn't just a traditional adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird, but with some Sorkin flair. It was completely something new. It's like it explores new themes, it develops characters in new ways, it's not told in chronological order, it jumps around in a really interesting way. And the it tie-in, because the guy playing Atticus, I w- it was driving me crazy where I knew him from. He played Bill in the 90s TV. Oh! Um, yeah, the uh, the miniseries It. Wow. So he is a really fun, earnest, serious, great Atticus Finch. Um, and the girl who played Scout in the film with Gregory Peck is playing Mrs. DuBose in this production, and she's having a blast. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. It was it was so great. So if you can see Aaron Sorkin's Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, do it immediately. Outstanding. Outstanding. Oh, my God. that The actor you just mentioned who uh, plays Bill in the 1990s, that, uh, he was in a made-for-TV movie, I think it aired on Lifetime, called uh, Precious Victims, which came out in 1993. It was based on uh, an infanticide story that actually happened in the town that I grew... that actually I was born in, uh, Alton, Illinois. And some of the people, the characters that show up in that particular story were people who I had grown up with and my dad was friends with because my dad was an attorney at the time. Uh, and that actor plays the main character in that. So I guess I'll, I'll recommend if you can find it on YouTube, Precious Victims. I, I can't guarantee it's a good movie, but if you're feeling like you want to watch like a circa 1993 Lifetime made for TV movie, uh, <laughs> check that one out too. So when, when am I not in the mood for that? So yeah, uh, <laughs> Precious Victims is the name of it. All right. Oh my God. We paid five bucks to see the Dance of Freak on this one, man. <laughs> and it was glorious. We took the fucking elephant. We took the fucking elephant, and the name isn't Buddy. It's Durant, Robert G. Durant. And on that note, thank you, Joe, as always, for having me on for Word Salad, especially coming back on for Corn Girl Guilty. It's been a while. It has been. Thank you, Tyler, for joining me. Um, everyone should follow us on Twitter at Word Salad Radio or join the Word Salad Radiohead's Facebook group or contribute to patreon.com slash word salad to contribute and get exclusive access to content things like Cinemuck aforementioned and help us out and help out CadaverCast or write us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts so more people find us. And as you're cur- So again, I was going to say, so again, thank you for listening. And as you're listening... got, Tyler? And as you're listening to this totally not Batman score to by Danny Elfman for Darkman, good night, Andrew. <laughs> good night, Andrew.